0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy
1: R-A-M-P.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soschnick and I'm Evan Novi Williams. And this is the Serena says goodbye sports business podcast, the Sporticast.
0: You say goodbye. I say hello. Hello, hello. Are you buying tickets? Huh? Are you? I've been like, I have right. a press
1: pass. I, I'm hoping to, to to see her at some point. I and mean, there's, uh she's a once in a generation potential athlete in 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 sports and uh, for certainly for 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 women's tennis. And yeah, I think I was. I'm not surprised by the outpouring, Scott. But but certainly a lot of a lot of attention paid and and the way she did it which maybe we should get into at the start uh she 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 wrote her own vogue story about the decision talked a lot about kind of the the the, the gender inequalities about family raising she wants to do more time on the business side she wants to spend more time with her family and grow her family i thought it was a really savvy uh and, and really nuanced way of announcing that the us open was going to be serena's last professional women's tennis event
0: yeah, I like the rollout where little by little you saw people start to catch on to the Vogue story. Then, then the news story of Serena saying goodbye to tennis was coming. I'm interested from like the public relations standpoint how they decided yet yeah, to go about and and roll this out. And I thought it was I thought it was good in that it in an outlet and in a manner which focuses on her future. Yeah, it, it, that it's not about the tennis anymore. There's so much more she wants to accomplish. Yeah, I could see like Serena Ventures taking off <laughs> for sure. Uh, I, I, w- I was like you, but yeah, then, then the reaction did not surprise me at all that ticket sales went way up. But you have to do a bit <laughs> of a guessing game here. Yeah. Uh, you wrote the story that, you know, the USTA said the sales were way up, but you don't know if she's going to be playing opening night or second night. My guess would be opening night. She's still you know, uh, on the women's side, the biggest draw at the US Open. So, if you want to catch her, and by the way, the way she's sort of been playing lately, you don't know, you can't wait till the quarter, semi, you don't know if she's going to be around. Yeah. So if you want to see Serena, you got to buy some tickets early and surely uh, they are benefiting at the USDA because people are certainly doing that.
1: Yeah, the general assumption seems to be he should, she's going to play opening night, um, which is, I, I believe, if you look back through history, at least recent history, that's typically when she makes her US Open debut, which would put her on pace if she wins Monday night to play again on on, on Wednesday night. I would think Scott, if she wins, especially if it's a close win on Monday night, that the tickets for that 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 Wednesday night U.S. Open, uh, the evening session, is going to go kind of bonkers. I think it's it's very clear that, that 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 she means a lot to a whole lot of people, and you know, she's getting up there in age. Obviously, as you said, her play hasn't been all that great. She has a lot going on off the court. I don't think a lot of people are surprised that that we've gotten to the end here. But I think the fact that it, it that it happened so abruptly that that a couple of weeks before the tournament started, she made it clear that she was only going to be playing just a few more professional tennis matches. I think all of that combines, and we should discuss obviously a, a tremendous success on the court: twenty three singles Grand Slams, fourteen more in doubles. But off the court, I think you could easily make an argument that, that well, she won. She made more money than any female athlete ever has uh, before her. Two, I think, in some ways, also broke the mold for 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 women's athletes. She she made 450 million dollars in her career, uh, according to Kurt Bodenhausen, who does these for Sportico. 350 million of that was from endorsements. She has, you mentioned the the, the venture business, 60 plus investments there she's a part she's owner gonna of the wind miami up making Dolphins. more
0: in the venture business than she did in endorsements in tennis uh, i think that's, that's, that's going be my correct
1: prediction. yeah i think that's right and, and and just the miami Dolphins stake alone i don't know i assume it's a really small portion of it but but that was stephen ross bought that team for a billion dollars about a decade ago, a little bit more, and it's she worth would a whole never lot. joke it's about worth tanking. A whole lot. She would more never now.
0: joke about tanking. <laughs> not even bring it up. Never. That's yeah. not serious. She's a competitor. Never but, gonna happen.
1: But I think you're right. I think, and we've seen this uh, with tennis, and we see it with golf a lot as well. There's a long tail after an athlete is done competitively, where they stay extremely relevant on the business side and the sponsorship side in that world. Uh, and it's a little bit different for a lot of team sports. But, but Serena is definitely going to benefit from that as well. And she's got, she's got a really good base here w- with all the investments and, 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 and the other business stuff that she's done.
0: All right. You want the Sashnik value ad? All right, Matt Whitehurst. We Please. need a new sound, a Sashnik <laughs> value ad. We won't need it that often. Uh, it's not an accident, by the way. Do, can you connect the dots on Serena saying goodbye to Vogue magazine? Can you connect the dots, Evan? Connect Can them I for you. What do you know about those entities? Yeah, give me some names. What do, you, what do you know? See, this is my value
1: add. This is your value add. So, all right. Uh, yeah, go who's, ahead.
0: who's the editor-in-chief or whatever? The top, the top dog over at Anno, Vogue? Anna, Anna Wintour. Anna Wintour. Yes. Yeah. Subject of the Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. You sure. Know. Yes. You know. What do you know about Anna Wintour?
1: Uh, very Besides, She dresses <laughs> well, has a <laughs> yeah. fashionable haircut, and has big and sunglasses hair. all the yeah. time. Um, I don't know that much. Yeah. Okay. I, I let don't me wouldn't want to work for her. I learned that. Let me help
0: movie. you out. Yeah. You wouldn't want to work for her. Let me help you out. Anna Wintour is a huge tennis fan.
1: There you go. I a did not know that. A Scott.
0: tennis <laughs> fan. And I'm going to go even further on the value add, not just saying, oh, she shows up because there are people who say they are tennis fans who show up at Flushing Meadow every September. And we know they don't know, you know, dues from ad and all, and all that. But Anna Wintour, I was told by Ken Solomon, who runs the tennis channel that his phone would buzz or his phone would ring at midnight on a random Friday, Saturday, whatever. Anna Wintour messaging Ken Solomon to say, hey, I'm watching this match. I don't like the way the graphics look. You know, I think you ought to consider presenting it this way. I have an idea for you. So not just one who shows up and says, oh, I'm here for the big night match at, at, uh, at Arthur Ashe Stadium. No, 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 no. She is a real tennis fan messaging Kenny Solomon. We should have him on talking about it, messaging Kenny about ideas for how tennis can be presented on TV and otherwise.
1: I think when Anna Wintour calls you with a style suggestion, I think you pretty much have to uh, have to do what she says, right?
0: You'd think so. I mean, she would know better (laughs) with me that I'm already a lost cause. Did I tell you, by the way, what uh, my wife had? She's termed my style that she's finally got a phrase for it.
1: Oh, Oh, boy. Yeah, go ahead. Homeless chic. Homeless chic. I don't hate that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's got chic. So, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I mean, I, I can live with it. Those who know me know it's not far off. That's fine. That's, that's, that's all right. I'll, I'll take it. But that doesn't, that doesn't fly at, uh, at uh, Flushing Meadow on a Saturday night match in New York City uh, when you have sort of the, the star players playing. in it. you, know, you got to dress your best if you're going to be seen at that place. But it's going to miss Serena. Uh, I mean, more broadly, let's look at it from the tennis perspective. She means a lot at the tournament. There's like she brings she brings the sizzle. You want to see uh, Serena or Venus play? And let me, oh, I'm going to give you another anecdote. You're going to like this. <laughs> this was not Serena. It was Venus. Yes, and I under yes. Everybody before him gets met, I understand they're two different people. I got it. But it will show the mindset of what I believe is is a shared mindset between the sisters. So I was scheduled to do an interview with Venus. I'm going to make up the time. Let's say it's 11 o'clock when she came off the practice court and I'm going back. Got to be 15 years. All right. So I'm there and I'm ready. Venus comes in coming off the practice court and she says, I'm sorry I'm a couple of minutes late, but do you mind if I take a few more minutes because I'd like to shower and change? And this just wasn't like a comfort thing. I said, you know, again, she was wearing, you know, the sweat jacket is what what players wear when they come off the practice court, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's really, and this, by the way, it's important to note, this is the time when you and I we were, or I was, I don't know if you were there yet, no, working I was not at there Bloomberg yet, yeah. News. Yeah. So I was doing, I was doing TV, uh, I was covering the Open for Bloomberg Television. So again, important that it's a visual medium, and I say to her, oh, you look fine. I mean, I don't mind. Sure, I'm not in a rush. But you look fine. I don't see any reason why, you know, you don't have to change. And I, I, I never, ever forgot this line from Venus Williams. She said, I'm dressed for ESPN right now. I'd rather shower, put on a suit so that I can be dressed for the Bloomberg audience. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's awareness it, right there. That yeah.
0: awareness and level of detail has stuck with me, obviously, the entire time. Much like it, stuck, it sticks with me. You Remember when Paul Rabel, when I did my first interview with Paul, he takes out a pad and he's writing down ideas from the conversation. It just stuck with me that there's an awareness here and a focus that other athletes at that time did not show. And it's also a focus they have, the, the ability to focus like that on, on the tennis too. I mean, it's, it's part of the reason why I think they are so darn good. They have that understanding and focus.
1: And I think a lot of that trickles down both consciously and subconsciously to the next generation of tennis stars. Serena was the the 52nd highest earning athlete in the world last year. She was not the highest earning tennis player. That was Naomi Osaka, who has a very bright future ahead of her, both on the court and off it. And Serena, partly because of Serena Williams, exactly, uh, largely because of, partly because of Serena Williams, and, and Serena very much broke uh, what was a very staid and old model of advertising and, and sponsorship within tennis, where for a long time it was just the the most beautiful conventional white blonde women who uh, were able to make the most money uh, in in the tennis world from a sponsorship standpoint, not on the court but off it, um, and she obviously broke down that mold. As well, And there's a whole lot of women, and and Naomi Osaka is one of them, Emma Raducanu, the young uh, British tennis player who, uh, if you ask Kurt, is another one of these women who he expects to make kind of massive rises in the next few years on the highest paid athlete charts. Uh, There's a whole lot of Serena's legacy that will be a better business environment for a lot of the next generation of tennis stars who are chasing her both on the court and off it.
0: You up for a Twitter poll off of this podcast, Evan? Sure, let's do it. I would venture to say my value add on Anna Wintour and Ken Solomon phone calls or text messages coupled with my anecdote of Venus coming out and wanting to change could have been my strongest back-to-back points in the history of you and I doing podcasts.
1: (laughs) I I like it. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. (laughs) We still have 15 minutes left of show. I'm glad that you've you've as long as
0: I've had had a strong moment. I'm very happy with my strong moment. All right. You know who else is having a strong moment? (laughs) The Big Ten Conference. Oh, yeah. Word starting to leak out that they're looking at a billion dollar TV deal, uh, leaving ESPN for the first time in however many years. I don't think that's the big deal. I know a lot of people focused on that, that ESPN said, all right, you know, there was a limit and we don't we're not going to do it. Um, and the fact that they're, it's probably going to wind up being NBC, CBS. I'm fascinated by sort of this college pro triple header thing in Notre Dame. And I'm fascinated by that but the money in itself here we go i mean this this is why usc and ucla have bolted the pac12 and went to the big 10 they all knew this was coming they knew this payday was there and now you're you've got what the nfl the afc the nfc and the big 10 right and the sec you've got you've got those are those are your power conferences
1: that's right. And there's so many ways that we can take this discussion, Scott. But but let's start there. We, with We have two or are on the road to in a couple of years going to have two dominant power conferences in college sports. And they're taking two very different media approaches. On the SEC side, ESPN recently locked up those rights. They own... Kind of all of it. So the the noon slot, the 3 p.m. slot, the primetime slot, that's Disney. So that's ESPN. That's why they that's felt ABC, comfortable walking away from the Big Ten. And they wanted to do that. And then if you look on the other side, this other power conference, the Big Ten is taking... I think what you could kind of look at as a, a page from the NFL book, right? There's multiple partners. We have Fox at the noon game, CBS in in the afternoon, 3, 3.30 slot, NBC in, in the 8 p.m. slot, more kind of appointment viewing across a lot of different networks. I don't think it's a coincidence, by the way, that the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, cut his teeth in the NFL with the, with the Minnesota Vikings but you're seeing two very divergent approaches here in which on the SEC you have ESPN owning kind of up and down all of the time slots and getting all their choices and then on the other side you have Fox CBS and NBC with different time slots for the Big 10 uh, and I say that knowing full well that that Fox owns 60% of the Big 10 network and it's actually been extremely involved in and will share in a lot of I, the economics I I was going to go there but good for you deals. that's yeah. for
0: for people who don't explain that further for people who do not understand the uncomfortable situation that was facing <laughs> ESPN, NBC, all these other networks negotiating this Big Ten deal, and that they were, in essence, showing themselves to Fox, a competitor. Absolutely yeah. Go ahead, explain a little bit more why that is. I know inside industry people know, but I don't think people generally understand who was running the negotiations for the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, so, so in the past decade, as all these conferences have rushed to, to create their own networks, they, they largely did so partnering with big media companies. And for the big 10, it was Fox. So the big 10 network, I think, I think it's 60%, which Fox owns. Yep. Um, and as a result of that, I, it sounds like an Anthony Kruppi, our colleague wrote about this in a story he did this week. It sounds like Fox was actually very involved in, in a lot of the negotiations for these other time slots, including the, the, the three or three o'clock. Right, let, let, uh, let me jump in. They weren't CBS. very involved.
0: They drove the bus. Yeah. They, a, they, they led the negotiations.
1: He has a rival executive quoted in this story saying it was, quote, unquote, truly bizarre to see Fox uh, this involved. So in some ways, when, when you see Fox at the noon time slot, you know, they're, they're negotiating with themselves in some ways for that. And then NBC and CBS with the other kind of big packages, also economics that that Fox is going to share in. Uh, and, and then again, as I mentioned, CBS or I mentioned the SEC and, and ESPN, SEC Network, the partner on that one is ESPN. So it's a much cleaner set on the other side of the ledger there down south with the SEC, where ESPN is essentially just kind of doing it within its own ecosystem. Whereas here in the Big Ten, yeah, Fox is, is, is at the negotiating table, it sounds like, with some of these other rival networks talking to them about how much they're going to pay for, for a slice of these rights.
0: The professionalism of college sports continues. And look, at we have Greg Schiano at Rutgers, saying, I need much more NIL money if I'm going to keep my best <laughs> players, right? I need more NIL money. Yeah. And then along that that vein, we hear SMU, the new Pony Express. They're creating... How much are they giving their players? Like 30-something thousand bucks yeah, a Yeah, I think piece? it depends
1: on the sport, but something like okay. that. Okay, in, yeah, five in, in figures, one, yeah. right. Like,
0: yeah, do you know the Pony Express reference, by the I way? I do, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, I'm very okay. aware. yeah. I don't know if you knew like the whole, you know, uh, Craig James and things. Okay. Um, and now, story today, what was in the LA Times, I believe, about USC putting together a collective and like people used to joke that USC was a pro franchise anyway. But what, what are the changes? But as we inch toward are these college athletes professionals, are they employees in essence? And that's a Mike McCann topic I know. And it's been brought up before and we had different opinions from the NLRB, but man, there's a sea change coming. There's so much money coming in to not only the conferences and the universities, but now making its way to the players from various sources that it just seems to be getting harder and harder. I know they're not paying. I know it's not payment from the schools to the players. I get that, but it it just seems. As if more and more they are taking an employer employee relationship.
1: Yeah. And some of these collectives, Scott, the ones that are not affiliated with schools at all, are, are being almost nakedly brazen about it, right? Okay, they, they are yeah. saying this is essentially a daring salary. the NCAA to stop yeah. us. Come yeah, on. Yeah, the, the deliverables are very minor. Show up at this, you know, two two of these charity events, do do this thing of community service once a year. The deliverables are very minor for what they're essentially considering salary for for, for playing on. A specific team. One thing you mentioned, Scott, that I do want to go back to, you mentioned Notre Dame in there as, as we talk about these, about these big TV packages. I think it's hard not to think of Notre Dame as a massive winner from, from all of this yeah. The decision by Notre Dame, not to officially join or formally join a conference. They are, uh, they, they can swing a lot of power in college sports any point in the next decade, if they want to, by joining a conference, but also financially, the Look at the CBS, the, the, the afternoon Big Ten window that CBS just bought $350 million, right? For, for one game a week in that time slot. The, the talk was that by the way, game, that,
0: that's up from like 50 million, like they, it, the deal of the for, century, look from at a, the escalation from, right. from
1: the SEC. Sure. But, but so that's, that's one game a week, uh, $350 million. Notre Dame, which plays one game a week through its NBC deal, essentially, the, the talk was that Notre Dame needed $75 million to keep its independence. I think if Notre Dame looks at the, the afternoon window that, that CBS is paying the Big Ten for and sees it at $350 million, you have to assume that Notre Dame thinks its rights alone are worth probably not that much, but pretty darn close to that much. I, I think the idea of $75 million as being kind of this target number for Notre Dame, I think you have to double that or even triple it. If you're thinking now more broadly, just by looking at these new numbers from the Big Ten, I think Notre Dame is in a really good position now to kind of choose its own destiny, stay independent if it wants, and command a lot more money from NBC or or whoever it is. Or if they want to join either of these conferences, or Scott, if it's the ACC, which they've been doing a lot of work with, you know, they have the the potential to to change the, the future of the ACC as well. There's a whole lot in here for Notre Dame being one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful brand in college sports, that it can sit and kind of choose its spots moving forward.
0: Check your cell phone, Novi Williams. I believe right now Jack Swarbrick just sent you the kiss emoji. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. I th- I think I'll that's give you the my that come... uh, the, It's direction. the kiss emoji fo- <laughs> followed by the big pound fist thing. He's going, yeah, th- thanks for negotiating for us. But you, you're right. I, even if they join a conference, and, you know, we, we've seen this from big schools before that think they deserve a larger piece of the pie from conferences. Any discussion, my guess, would be of Notre Dame going into name the conference, it doesn't matter, isn't going to be, oh, let's just share everything equally. Hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know, we want our fair share. We want something on top and then some and then some and then we'll, we'll figure out some metrics where maybe we'll get some more and, and leave some crumbs for everybody else. and, yeah, and then, th- But uh, that's the big kahuna right there.
1: And on the other end of the spectrum, a potential kind of loser in all this, the NCAA, you mentioned it's going to be over a billion dollars almost definitely for what the the Big Ten's going to pull in annually from its meteorites. That's essentially what the NCAA gets largely entirely for the men's basketball tournament. Not only are... Conferences becoming richer uh, b- by virtue of their own media rights and the NCA's men's basketball event is, is locked up long term with CBS and Turner. Uh, but also the, the more power these conferences get, I think the more pressure there is on the NCAA basketball tournament and its model in which there are a whole lot of slots that go to really small colleges that no one has ever heard of, that no one ever watches until they're playing, you know, St. Peter is the perfect example. Uh, There's going to be a lot more pressure to to keep that model and a lot of people that have a lot of power and a lot of money in college sports looking to upend that model to get more of their own teams in. I think everything that's happening in college sports, but essentially, especially what's happening right now on the media side and the dollar figures that are getting thrown around, I think really cast some doubt onto the long-term future, for good and for bad, uh, on the NCAA tournament and specifically the way it's laid out right now.
0: All right, I, I'm sitting here fiddling with my phone because I'm trying to be cute and like be able to do my own sound effect, right? <laughs> so let me see if I can find the one I want. Where's the one like harp or something? Uh, let's try chord. Let's see this one. I'm gonna like we don't need Matt Whitehurst. Let's see if we can do it here on our, by ourselves. No sounds like with all this discussion, I bet it sounds like perhaps it would make sense if somebody had a kind of a, uh, a college sports podcast. Mm. Does that make like, is that something maybe we should do? Does that does that sound good to you? I, there I don't know. is
1: so much going on right now. There is essentially unlimited topics to uh, to dive into. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, but you need better music. I mean, I don't even know. Circles, what circles on the phone?
1: Scott, you began this episode by having the two best anecdotes you've ever given, and now you're trying to play chimes off of your phone. I'm just trying to save
0: Matt Whitehurst from having to do a lot (laughs) of balancing. Yeah, exactly. I don't want Matt. We we tax him so much each week. I don't want him have to uh, have to do too much. All right, let's finish it off with uh, Endeavor uh, selling uh, these minor league baseball teams to Silver Lake. Of course, Silver Lake is a big investor in Endeavor. When they bought the teams not long ago, uh, everybody... And I mean, the, the, end, the MLBPA quickly said, wait, this is a conflict of interest. Like they, were, they were not shy about saying you have agents. You know, Endeavor has agents that represent players, and now you're owning minor league teams. That's a clear conflict of interest. Uh, so I'm not surprised. I know you are probably not surprised either that Endeavor ultimately decided we don't need this fight with the MLBPA we're unloading it kind of sort of just to our biggest <laughs> investor. So still in the family kind of sort of.
1: Yeah, really interesting last caveat there. You're right. Silver Lake, a big private equity firm, its business is so entwined with Endeavor's business, uh, investor in Endeavor, partner in a lot of ventures like originally in UFC, in Learfield, uh, moving assets from uh, from Endeavor to Silver Lake. Yeah, I, I it is not like uh, passing it off to someone that you have no relationship with—it's—it's it's, it's quite the opposite. So I do think that that is interesting. Two hundred eighty million dollar deal here, Scott, for for ten minor league franchises, some of which are AAA affiliates of big clubs, some of which are are much lower on the on the ecosystem there. Uh, when Major League Baseball, when the players objected to this, as you said, endeavor put in a filing that it may end up having to sell either the teams or the baseball representation business. It seems obviously clear now uh, they chose in that equation to keep the baseball agency and chose to unload the baseball teams, but a lot of, a lot of wider uh, uncertainty, a lot of upheaval right now in minor league baseball. And this is just one kind of tiny part of that.
0: I'd be curious because from what I know of the agent business, like the margins aren't all that great. And by the way, you get headaches with the clients So I'd be curious just to ask Mark Shapiro. We we should have him on the show soon. I'll give him. I'll give him a ring uh, about why you know what went into that decision. Excuse me. Why Why keep the agencies? I mean, it's big. It's big time front porch. We know that representing big time athletes is great front porch for the overall portfolio uh, of services. So that would be my guess. But I mean, minor league baseball, good business. You get the right ones. You know, pretty good cash flow. They can be very good businesses. So I'm I'm curious what, what went into that decision.
1: Yeah, and we don't know, and this this could very well be the thing that made, went into the decision. We don't know how much Endeavor paid for these franchises, so it could have just been the, the offer we, know we got. know some, yeah. The, we don't know all, well, but we know some of them. Yeah, right. it was forty seven million for the three Braves franchises. Um, so if they paid if they paid two hundred million dollars for it, and suddenly they were offered two eighty, maybe that maybe that makes the decision uh, really easy. But but they could very well be that. They shot both around and decided that from what the market was going to bear for both these items that that it made more sense to unload the baseball ones. But but yeah, it's certainly a curious and interesting one. Um, and, and you're right; there's a lot of people that think of minor league baseball as a really good business. Your 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 player costs are largely, uh, if not entirely, shelved by the or held by the the team that you're affiliated with. So in some ways, you're not on the hook for for what for most. Sports franchises is the biggest, is, is yeah, the for biggest the $1, cost. For the 1200
0: bucks a year, they might earn. Not a <laughs> lot of money. That, that was a commentary uh, the, by, <laughs> right by there. That's another sound. <laughs> Sashnik commentary. Fair
1: enough. Uh, yeah, but it's certainly an interesting one and, and, and one that I'm sure there's going to be a lot more, I would think, consolidation and or, you know, buys and sells in, in minor league baseball moving forward.
0: All right, I'm going to make your life very difficult because I tease some stuff. I mentioned some people. Go ahead. Let's hear you close it out. And trying oh, to definitely, gosh. definitely weave in all that I have mentioned uh, in a nice tight way here. Let's see. All you right, do it.
1: that is it for us. He is Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I am Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Shout out to Matt. Uh, you can uh, review and rate our show. I don't think we've ever asked for this, Scott. But you if you enjoy this podcast, give us a uh, five star review or a four star review, or just recommend it whoa, to your whoa, friends. Did you just say that uh, is or a four star? <laughs> Are you insane?
0: This is why I can't let you go. Yeah, if you like a one star, fine. Yeah, give us a one star. We don't care.
1: Give us a good review. Recommend it to your friends. Reminder, you can download this podcast at Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Scott and I will be back (laughs) next week for two more episodes of this podcast. Oh, never again.